0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Morning. Pastor Matt has already prayed. Oh, there we go. Right there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Wow. So glad to be here uh, to share with you the word of the Lord. And I'm excited on today. Um, I just love this place. I love uh, coming, this is my third time coming to Love Chapel Hill. And I love the spirit of this community and uh, just the openness and the friendship and the hospitality uh, that's here. And uh, I just surely sense that Christ is present in this place in a very profound way. And uh, man, y'all, y'all just awesome. Well, this morning I'm gonna continue uh, I caught up with uh, Matt's uh, series online, and actually before I, I listened to Matt's uh, sermon series on the last words, Jesus' farewell address, starting in John chapter 13, I already began to look at that as a farewell address. So I didn't even know the name of the series, it's called Last Words, which is pretty cool. Uh, so I was going to jump right into the text this morning, uh, In John chapter 15 is where we'll start. I'll be reading verses 1 through 17, and uh, I'm not sure what translation will be up top, but I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 17, and then uh, we'll jump right into what's happening here. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Oh, they got it right here. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all right. What translation is that? Oh, okay. All right. right. It's okay to read from here? Okay. Right. Okay, cool. I'm getting used to this technology and stuff. This is pretty cool. So let me read this so, so we won't be off from each other, okay? So I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I like that. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even. And the next page is cut off there. Bear more fruitful. Right. I'll just read from mine. <laughs> so I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the gardener here. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. How many of y'all know it's Jesus is dangerous when Jesus speaks to you? Right? It's like one of the most dangerous things you can do as a disciple of Jesus is to have Jesus speak to you. So if you don't want, so, if you don't want anything to change, if you don't uh, want your life to be different, go on a different trajectory, tell Jesus to shh. Because once he speaks to you, everything changes. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides, abides in the vine. In the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever abides in me, and I in him or her, he or she it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and their branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish or desire, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples." For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known unto you. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. This is a part of John chapter 15 is a part of a larger uh, passage from John 13 through 17 that theologians and Bible scholars have called the farewell discourse. This is Jesus saying goodbye. Yet hello. At the same time. Because he ultimately doesn't really say, doesn't leave them. Right. He comes back in a different way through the Holy Spirit. So this part of this speech is a farewell address. And I love this because uh, there's some studying and what I found out was this is really serious stuff in the ancient world that Jesus lived in. As a matter of fact, they had a specific name for a kind of speech like this in the ancient world. It was called a valedictoria, a unique a farewell address by a prominent leader or a political leader or a spiritual leader before he departed from this life or left to go to another place. It was called the valedictoria, a farewell speech, a farewell address to this community that has pledged loyalty and faithfulness and intimacy to this leader. Now, you can guess what they would call the speech giver. They called them the what? The valor valedictorian interesting right you're familiar with that we had a lot of college people here right the valedictorian is the head of the class the best of us and at the end of the their journey their four-year journey or six-year journey or how many year journey it takes to get that, that piece of paper right for some people it takes a little bit longer than others or shorter than others at the end they have the valedictorian to give a farewell address to this larger community of people that have pledged commitment to a certain discipline and a certain practice with each other to learn. And and in the ancient world, uh, the valedictoria, this farewell address served a couple of purposes. One of those purposes was to, one, when the announcement was that This great leader was to depart from this place, from this life, or from this particular area. It was to comfort them in their grief, because if this had been a great leader, they had great feelings, uh, great affection for this person, and there was a sense of grief that this person was leaving from this place. And so the valedictoria, this farewell speech, was seek to comfort them in their grief of the departure of this leader second thing that this speech would serve to do is to let them know what they're supposed to do after he or she leaves. What they're supposed to do after the leader leaves, departs. How they're supposed to keep up the tradition, how they're supposed to keep up the legacy, how they're supposed to keep up the teachings and embody the teachings that were there, that they were taught by this great leader, after the leader departs from this place. The third thing, in the ancient world, because they still, you know, in the ancient world, pre-modern world, they still believe, unlike our modern world, right, they they have an open system, right? God still moves in the world. Not like our materialist culture where, you know, a lot of people in Western culture suspect that that was fairy, fairy tales or some kind of fiction. So in the ancient world, when a leader comforted them, reminded them to keep the teaching going, but also to predict what's going to happen, to let them know that you got to be comforted. You got to keep up the tradition. You got to keep up what I've taught you. But I'm going to let you know that there is things coming that's going to try what I've taught you. And so this is what Jesus does in our passage this morning. He's a valedictorian of our class, if you will. Now, so the first verse here, I love this. um, He says that uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine. So we're getting into the speech. He's offering uh, uh, the tradition here. He's letting them know. This is the teaching that I want you to do. This is how I want you to live after I've left this place. So he's reminding them of who he has been with them for those several years that he's been walking alongside the disciples. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I love this image because, see, when he said vine, and vines are interesting, grapevines in particular, are interesting forms of plants. They're dissonant. They're unharmonious. They're kind of off-key plants. You plant a grapevine in your yard, it's going to go where it wants to go. It It doesn't conform to what's around it. It goes in the direction that it wants to go, and it normally flows and it goes up. It always grows high on things. So it'll attach itself to something, and it'll keep going up to the top as high as it can go. So grape vines, or vines in this instance, are plants that are uh, unruly. They're undomesticatable, right? And they just are different. Even the grape vines that you do domesticate, that you see on uh, places where they grow wine and make wine and so forth, domesticated wine is way different than wild grape vines. So they go grow wherever they want to grow. They are wild, they are unruly, they are un I wrote down all these adjectives, they are inharmonious, incongruous, they don't play well with the surrounding environment. Jesus says, I am a wild vine. I am a wild vine. I don't conform to the world. Matter of fact, I look different than the world. And he says, my father is the vine dresser, the pruner. And so the father is the image. And I love the cast of characters that Jesus uh, puts in this this, this, uh, teaching here. Jesus is the wild vine that grows in a direction that uh, God wants to grow. Uh, Jesus being the vine. And the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one that keeps and prunes and shapes the vine to make sure that it's curated. Now, have you ever seen a grapevine? How many of you ever seen a grapevine before? You ever seen those? Right. Now, they're interesting because they're not like regular plants where you just got this. this, this uh, uh, you just got a vine or the, uh, the root and the base where you just got branches sticking out. On a grapevine, I wish we had, I should have told y'all to put, put, uh, put an image up there. But the way that uh, grapevines grow, their branches are uh, tangled around it, right? They're really just wrapped around or tangled up or really meshed close to the vine itself. The vine being the source connected to the root, to the ground, where it brings the nutrients and the life up, and it spreads throughout the vine, throughout the branches, goes to the vine, to the branches, and from the branches, we see fruit, we see grapes. But the branches are intertwined and tangled with the vine, the source of life for the branches. And so, so... Jesus gives this imagery. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. The Father takes away. And this is interesting because oftentimes in Christianity, we get this vision that we have to do certain things. We, have, we are the ones who do all the effort in this journey of discipleship. But in this image, God does the first action. He says, God takes away things. And every branch that does not bear fruit, He prunes, the Father prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word. And I love this because when Jesus, uh, uh, you could imagine a wild branch or a branch, and it's trying to bear fruit, and it's got dead wood around it, it's got dead leaves, and there's deadness around it, things that are in the way. The Father comes in, in God's own way and begins to take back and peel things. And pull things away, take away things so that this branch can bear fruit. He takes out of the way the things that are barriers or things that prevent from fruit from growing. But then he says this. Already, verse 3, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And this is interesting because the word clean there is, has the same root word for the word prune, when you look it up. So prune and to clean are the same thing. So one of the ways that God the Father prunes us is when Jesus speaks to us through his word. So the word of God cleans us, prunes us. And this is interesting because The Bible says, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel in the Beatitudes, he says, the pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And when he says the pure in heart, he's talking about the very core of our being, the seat of our emotions, our soul, our understanding, our perception of the world. Not just our physical perception, but our heart perception. Paul would later say, in in the later pa- in his later uh, in the later part of the New Testament, Paul would say that I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Isn't that interesting? The eyes have heart. The the heart has eyes. Isn't that cool? So purity is about God cleaning and moving away things that get in the way of our ability to understand and perceive and to be closer and intimate with Jesus. So the word transforms us. The word purifies us. The word cleans us. The word clears our eyes out. It gets sleep out of the eyes of our hearts so that we can see and perceive and be closer to Christ. the spoken word of Jesus. I told y'all now, beware. When Jesus begins to speak to you, everything changes. How you see changes. How you perceive changes. How you walk in the world changes. Everything begins to take a different shape. And don't forget that you're connected to someone who's wild. (laughs) This wild vine giving you life, speaking into your life. And so your life begins to take shape based upon the source of that life. You begin to share the DNA of the vine that you're connected with. So if Jesus is a wild vine that does not conform to the world around him, if you're grafted into that vine and that vine is speaking transformative word into your soul, to the eyes of your heart, you become to look what? Wild. Wild as the gospel declares it. And he begins to lay out what this wildness looks like, what this, 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 inharmonious life looks like that you are connected to, that you are grafted in, that you have as the center of your life. He says this, Abide in me, and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself. This true life, Jesus' words, Jesus' life, the life of Jesus, the life of Christ, the spirit of Christ is the source of our life. This is more than just doing good. This is more than just being on my best behavior. This is a life that has Jesus's life running, coursing through my life, our life together. It is the life of Jesus that animates this community. We're not just well-behaved people. We're not just conforming to the dictates of polite society. We're not here to be civil. We are a people, a community of people that are grafted into the branch of the wild Savior, Jesus. It is his life that gives us life to look like the life that he has. But we cannot live this life apart from him. We can't live this Jesus kind of life apart from him, not abiding in him. And sometimes we find ourselves in the faith, in the Christian faith, when you're not connected, you're not grafted in, and the words of Jesus are not being spoken deep into who you are, then it just becomes, I just go to church. I, follow, I do all the things that a good Christian person is supposed to do. Christianity becomes my cultural uh, uh, duty. My mom and daddy and them went to church. Now I go to church. I just submit to cultural expectation. Do what grandmama and them did. Grandmama grabbed me by the ear, dragged me out to the church van. I'm just doing what auntie and them told me to do go to church, don't cuss, don't drink, don't go to the club, don't, you know, whatever, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life that's connected to a life that is wild, that is inharmonious, that is, let me use this word, a a musical term, out of key, off key with the world. And so you got to abide. That word abide in this passage is used several times. And it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of loyalty. It speaks of deep connection and relationship. Abiding. And the word abiding is like this, the the, the sense of it is, it's ongoing. It is continuous. It's not something that just happens one-off, one time. But it's a continuous thing that is constantly being cultivated so God is around us. The Father is within us and through, around us to take away the things that prevent us from deeply abiding with Jesus. Quite frankly, to be abiding is to be tangled up with Jesus. To be intertwined with his purposes. To be intertwined and connected with his mission. To be intertwined and connected with his presence. To be tangled in the presence of Jesus. This is what it means to abide. And notice what happens when we begin to abide. So it's not like one of these situations where you do certain things and Jesus abides with you. This is one of the things I love about the New Testament. Uh, Paul is really good at this. He would say, because Jesus has done this, we will see this in your life. It's not like what we often hear. If you do this, then we'll see Jesus do this. It's the other way around in the kingdom of God. When Jesus does what Jesus does, we will see this in our lives. So because Jesus abides in us, the Father abides in us, certain things begin to happen in our lives. We begin to see certain things become evident in our lives when we'll bear fruit. The fruit comes from the abiding. The fruit comes from the entanglement, the intertwining. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he or she it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. Don't disconnect from the life. Stay, another word for abide is to stay put. Stay in this. Stay in this. Stay in the place where Jesus can speak to you. Don't be distant. Draw in. Draw closer to Christ. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I notice that, right? If I Abide in you, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I just got into a lengthy debate with a friend of mine. He's seeking God in his own way, and we spent hours at Starbucks one day. And he said he grew up in church, and one of the reasons why he can't get with the church thing, it was because he had did something really bad once, and he was locked up. And he was in his jail cell, and he asked Jesus to free him. And brother, he said, Brother Anthony, see, Jesus, this this Christianity thing, this Jesus thing, see, it doesn't work. I prayed, and your Bible says, Whatever I ask for, he'll give it to me. <laughs> and I prayed to be freed from this prison. And my first question was, and he's like, well, what do you say about that? Because we got to do this long debate. I said, well, um, why were you in prison? What did you do? And he's like, I did this and that, whatever. And I was like, brother, I think you're reading it like an American. See, in America, we're taught, you can just get whatever your heart's desire, whatever is consumer desire, whatever's put in front of me, we're socialized in so many different ways to want certain things and uh, to go constantly after, acquire things. Uh, we live in an affluensic culture. I say that's not what Jesus is saying there. But well, what is he saying? Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you begin to pray the prayers that I pray. <laughs> that's what Jesus is saying when you begin to pray what you want, but it's a want that has an abiding Jesus in it. It is a want and a desire and a wish that is abiding Jesus, shaped and formed. It is a prayer that you pray after Jesus has spoken to you. And those are different kinds of prayers. Those are not consumer prayers. These are dissonant prayers, unharmonious prayers, wild prayers. They're the prayers that Jesus would pray. And so we pray, we pray. It says, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. But by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Verse eight. And so prove to be my disciples. love that. Disciples, those that imitate their teacher, those that Smell like, look like, had the texture of the teacher of their master. And as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, if you do what I say, if you, because the thing is, Jesus just isn't some hard taskmaster, just wanting you to do some kind of strange will. Uh, You know, Jesus doesn't have self-interest here, but his way is a way of life. So these are commandments of love, not of oppression. You will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Get that again. Remember now, it's dangerous now. I keep telling you. It's dangerous when you're in a place where Jesus begins to speak to you. Don't forget that. These things I have spoken to you, and I love this right here, that my joy may be in you. I spoken to you that my joy may be in you. When Jesus speaks into us, into our lives, joy becomes a part of our life. And that your joy may be full. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another. As I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And I love this because friendship was a big deal back then. Now, we call somebody our friend because they've added us on Facebook, (laughs) right? Or they follow me on Twitter. Or they tag me in a really cool post or something. Or they buy me coffee from Starbucks. Which friends can do that, right? I'm not saying that's not friendship. But in the ancient world, there was two primary elements. You know, we got any philosophy majors here? Any philosophy folks here? Right? There was a great philosopher, Aristotle, in the ancient world who talked a whole lot about friendship. And there were two things, that two key elements of authentic friendship in the ancient world. One, a friend was willing to give their life for their friend. If their friend was in mortal danger, a friend in the ancient world was seen as one who was willing to give their life in the place of their friend. A second element is this. A friend will speak truth to you. A friend will be candid and honest to you. Because the understanding of friendship was we're on this journey of goodness. We're on this journey of virtue together. So I can't tell you lies because that would deform you. And if you're deformed, that deforms me because we're attached to the hip. So a friend would speak truth to another friend. Candid speech, truthful, honest speech to the friend. Because it was understood that this speech would transform them. If my friend is transformed, that means I'm going to be transformed. I always tell my kids, you're only as good as your friends. You're only as good as your friends. Now, when Jesus says this, Uh, Aristotle is long dead at this point. So the understanding of friendship has changed drastically in the world that Jesus says this. Friend in the Roman Empire was, how useful are you to me? Right? If we get a chance, well, we're not going to go there today, but I'm sure somebody's going to go there. Eventually, down in John 18, when Pilate is sitting next to Jesus and, and the people are like trying to get Pilate to crucify Jesus, And the religious leaders like, well, don't you want Caesar to be your friend? If you don't kill this guy, don't you want Jesus to be, don't you want Caesar to be your friend? So by the time Jesus and the apostles come along in the broader ancient world, friendship had evolved into how useful you are to me. In our culture today, we call it networking. Networking. I'm coming close to you because you benefit me in something that I have got going on. Now, in business environments, I understand that. But in the wild Jesus vine community, we trying to live differently than a world type situation. Our understanding of friendship has to be different. And so also in this kind of friendship in this ancient world by the time of Jesus, it was also an unequal relationship. Unequal relationship. So we're a different kind of friendship here. So uh, uh, let me close up real quick. I'm on my time, y'all. Okay. So you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. Verse 17. These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. So here we are. Jesus, and the thing is, later on in the next couple of verses... In John 15, it says that Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted because of me, because you abide in me, because Jesus is off key. He's out of tune with the world, where people will connect with you and be intimate with you for selfish reasons. But in this community, we love one another. We connect and spend time together. We are connected to each other. We will give our lives for each other. We will share our resources and our lives and our story. We'll be vulnerable with each other because we understand that we're connected to the true vine, not the false vine, that the culture will offer us. And he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. And, you know, we're about to enter into worship here at the close. And one of the things I always tell folks is that's connected with us in our community when we engage in discipleship, I said you you look like the Jesus you worship. Right? I got a Mennonite radical friend of mine. He's a pretty wild dude. He threw some fake blood on the Department of Justice in protest to the uh, drone use of drone technology. And he has his saying, his name is Mark Van Steenwick. He says, uh, you know, man, you know, we really love to worship the guy. But well, we don't want to be like him. <laughs> and that's pretty powerful. So as we enter into worship at the close here, I just want to say that, uh, you know, just to remind you that, you know, we look like the Jesus that we worship. Let's abide in him. Let's draw deeper and closer into his word. Let Jesus speak to us. I dare you. I double dog dare you to let Jesus speak to you. And not just you as an individual, but as a community. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you right now, God, for your presence in this place, God. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's present here, God. We thank you for the gathered body, Father. Brothers and sisters from all parts of this community, God. God, we thank you that you're molding us and that you're shaping us, God, to be a wild community, a community that would demonstrate the love of Jesus in ways that are uncommon to this culture. God, we thank you for joining us all to the hip, Father, that we'll give and share and be freely giving and generous with what we have, oh God. God, we thank you, oh God, for. The, the, the powerful witness, oh God, that you're creating in this place, God, that has reverber- reverberated out and echoed out into the community, onto the campus, onto the streets, into the highways and byways of Chapel Hill, Father, and even beyond that. Spirit of God, take us deeper, O oh God. Make us more entangled, oh God, with the vine.